So should we like actually start or? or you know, <laughs> no, let's stick around for another hour or two. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, well, we'll just stick around and then we'll post that, and everyone will be like, "Well, I thought this was going to be the live the live record show," and like this is just people like talking about scams and getting money. <laughs> is there really much of a difference? To be fair, no. <laughs> Capitalism is the biggest scam of them all. <laughs> But then you hit record and you're out the door Anyway Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away Crush on the ray Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, actually, last night I went to see an industrial show. Ooh, who'd you see? Uh, nothing terribly good, uh, except for one. Aesthetic Perfection, who was the headliner, were, was surprisingly good. Mm. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Uh, I have not, but I'll, I'll have to check them out. And there was some German band that got very boring very fast called XRX, and I don't even remember what the first Black Ops. I think I want to say. Oh, okay. Those those ones sound like vaguely familiar, but I don't know. Yeah, it could just be that those are kind of generic industrial band names. So yeah, my my biggest problem with uh, seeing industrial music live, at least this kind of industrial music, is that there's not a lot of live playing. Ah, uh, it uh, laptop syndrome. Yeah, that's a drag. I mean, at least I've seen video of Crawford live. I mean, they're they're at least standing behind the laptops the entire time. I know they're not industrial, but they're standing behind the laptops the entire time. You get the sense that they're actually doing something while you're watching, even if all they're doing is checking their damn email. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, um, I've actually seen Crawford live because I'm awesome, and uh, you can actually see them like playing keyboards and stuff. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I. In some of what I've seen from the minimum maximum DVD. There's there are some keyboards and stuff, but it, there's also part of the time you just you just see them with uh, track with trackballs and stuff, and you think, is he checking Twitter or is he playing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but their their craft works, so they get like all of the passes in the world. Exactly, and these guys just get someone with with a synthesizer to play a, a, a lead melody once in a while. But, you know, just says it be just it's a MIDI controller, a MIDI controller. Pretty much, yeah. Or 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 a hacked calculator. That's pretty cool too. Get get one of those uh, circuit bent speaking spells. Yes. Rich, are you going to see uh, Jonathan Colton and John Roderick tonight? According to the Twitter. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. That's pretty awesome. First time. For, well, I've seen Colton before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw him solo. Or, well, solo with Paul and Storm. Yeah, you know, but it was just him, uh, an acoustic guitar, and a Zen drum. Yeah. Which was. He busted out the Zen drum for a song of his called Mr. Fancy Pants, which was awesome. He was just playing samples off this thing. <laughs> um, I've never seen Roderick before. I've seen Colton with the full band when he toured with They Might Be Giants uh, this last tour. Now, is this, a, is this a Jonathan Colton tour and John Roderick is just like guesting like on Nemesis or something? Or are they both kind of doing separate sets? I think they're doing separate sets, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was overlap. Nice. Kind of like it might be like kind of an evening with both of them rather than two individual sets almost. Yeah, I mean apparently they're 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 pretty tight. So yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, when I saw them in uh, Seattle like opening for TMBG, uh, 
Roderick came out and uh, did Nemesis, and which was kind of funny because I mean, like, uh, I actually saw uh, They Might Be Giants on the Venue Songs tour, and they uh, on the tour they had uh, every different stop had a different person doing the uh, deranged millionaire parts, <laughs> and and in Seattle, uh, Roderick was the deranged millionaire. <laughs> awesome! So. Awesome. Yeah, and apparently there's a club in Seattle that whenever they come to, like, Roderick and Flansburg hang out there, so. Last time I saw They Might Be Giants, I know John Hodgman was in the audience somewhere, but I, I couldn't see him. I may, maybe he was hiding out backstage. Probably, yeah. It's, <laughs> he is the deranged millionaire, so he could, you know, use all of his millions to get perks like that. <laughs> yeah, when I saw John Roderick play his solo show in New York City, John Hodgman was there in the audience because I think they were uh, doing a tour at the time. It was pretty cool. Yeah, also, wasn't that, wasn't that show in Brooklyn? Yeah, I think it was in Brooklyn. I forget what the venue was called. Ah, I don't yeah. remember, but it was a great show. Yeah, I know that's, I know, I mean, I know Hodgman has said to you that he lives in Park Slope, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a nice place. I actually, uh, last time I was up in New York, I actually explored Park Slope. Lovely area. I could never afford it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Linnell lives there too, I think. Think I could be wrong, but well, it's not like they want to live in Williamsburg anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's that. I know that, like, I guess I think they both have places in the Catskills too, or something. Hey, if they got the money. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, slamming them. I think that's pretty cool. No, they earned it. Definitely. It's good to get like awesome, awesome people. Like you know, both you know, talent wise, and they actually both seem like you know pretty good guys. Like, I mean, you know, as, as human beings, you know? <laughs> unless, unless they're yelling at you on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even that was sort of like more of the, the thing that your, your mom does about, you know, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of shows, uh, we're actually, ta- this is a special episode. We're talking about live albums, or at least to start. And we've all picked uh, one of our favorite live albums, and they'll be our picks this week. We're going to be going extra in-depth on those. We might not even have time for anything else. It's going to be big. Yeah. And I guess we should, because uh, uh, we also did throw this out to people, and we'll be talking about that later in the show. But um, a lot of, like, basically everyone mentioned Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads, of course. And I guess we should kind of mention, like, up front that, we actually have like a moratorium on that one just because we're actually probably going to do a sh- uh, whole show on Stop Making Sense because it's such an important, awesome album and film. Yes. And, we're, and I've already come, thought, forget, we usually pick a, a title from what we've been talking about, but no, not for this, for that one. I ever, it'll be, it's like 60 minutes on acid. <laughs> because it is. Yeah. All right. So I think, yeah, since... This is episode six, so I think we have to start with you, Matt. Okie dokie. Um, with me, like I, I, I had three that I, you know, had to whittle down, like uh, my choice for my pick. Like uh, one, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell because it, it kind of dovetails in with uh, Rich's pick. Um, one was uh, the Residents' uh, 13th anniversary tour, and but the one that I ended up going with, and and Rich kind of gave me a hard time with this one. <laughs> is uh, Devo's uh, Live, The Mongoloid Years, which is very, very early Devo. Like, I think the first one, there, it's three sets on one compact disc. Uh, the first set, it, it goes backwards in time. And the first set 
is probably the most straight up Devo that you're you're most familiar with. This is like I think it's like either on the Q Q Are We Not Men tour or right before. Um, and it's at uh, Max's Kansas City, I believe. And here's a little bit of um, satisfaction from that set. With that one, I, I, I love the drum sound on that. It's like a pretty much like the same arrangement, more or less, because, I mean, Devo were, were very, very tight. But I just love the, uh, the, the sound of the kick drum on that. Um, second set is another one that's a little bit earlier, but still pretty much in that uh, Q Are We Not Men's kind of vein. But then you have the last set on the disc, which I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm afraid that, like, uh, if... Um, like, cause I know Rich knows the album, but, uh, like Andrew, like, I, I, I hope I didn't scare you off because I know, I figured like probably the, the first two thirds of the disc, you were probably like, yeah, okay, I can dig this. And then you have like the third one, which is the, uh, hardest of hardcore era Devo <laughs> where, um, they were, they considered themselves an agit pop band, mainly, uh, music to piss you off. <laughs> and, well, that's nice of them. Yes. And the, 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 the thing is, is that this um, show, the, the last one on there, has such a great story behind it. Because it's, um, like, a, as you probably heard, like, uh, when you were listening to it, Andrew, like, they had the intro from uh, Murray the K, the, the DJ with the really, you know, froggy voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Ah, there, ah, there, ah, there. <laughs> you know. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and But basically what it was was a radio station had done a... Halloween show where the headliner was secret. Devo was the opener, but they didn't announce them as Devo. They were like everyone thought that they were going to be a note perfect bad company cover band. I, I think you could compare Devo to many things, but bad company isn't one of them. And basically it was a bunch of punks and hippies on garbage bags full of nitrous. Expecting this note perfect cover uh, band of bad company followed by a uh, you know an unknown headliner, and so Devo comes out in uh, their various masks like Boogie Boy, Chinaman, uh, Jungle Jim, um, the Clown, and basically go on antagonizing the audience for about fifteen minutes, <laughs> it, and it, it comes to a head with a really long version of Jocko Homo. Where, which was actually the first time that they played Jocko Homo. And the uh, Are We Not Men, We Are Devo part went on forever. And, like, it's getting the audience more and more angry. And, like, there, you can hear someone take the mic and call them assholes. And it's just really, really funny. But basically, it ended up clearing out the entire club. So what happened is, basically, Devo and their close friends got a... Um, private performance of the secret headliner and that secret headliner was Sun Ra and his orchestra so that would be pretty amazing and now you know the rest of the story 
So I guess I should actually talk about why I like this novel, aside from. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty compelling narrative, though. Oh yeah, I, I love this story, and it, I, I honestly, I really like the hardcore era Devo. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I get like you know stuff like Bamboo Bimbo and stuff like that stuck in my head all the time, even though that song is a little racist. But oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> But I, 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 I kind of chalk it up to the time and also their, you know, I, I don't, I think it was more about antagonizing people than really actual racism. So, mm-hmm. but it's also really, really catchy. <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, the, the thing I like about this album is that it's, you know, three different eras of the band. And I mean, the first two are pretty similar. Like this, the middle uh, set is a little bit rougher and a little a little more rough around the edges like the first set like devo is the well-oiled machine that they always they they basically have been for the past 30 years and the second set is a little bit rougher but still really pretty tight i mean they, they do timing x on that one which is like an amazing song that like blows the way that they can do you know mm-hmm. and especially live where it's faster <laughs> and then you have like the really really early hardcore era devo that is very different than what you expect unless you have like the the two uh hardcore compilations that they put out or the or if you're like a hardcore nerd and have all of the bootlegs like me and rich <laughs> so that that's what i like about it is it's like different snapshots of the same band in the in, in you know th- three eras and also that i i happen to love the music too but it's it, that that's the thing that i think is cool is that it's like live album as document but also really listenable to me. Well, uh, so this is my first uh, toe dipping into the Devo pool. And I, I, know that, I know that you guys are very big fans. Uh, so I need help because <laughs> I, need, I need to be guided through this Devo experience because I gave this album uh, one listen uh, over the past week and I just found it to be kind of exhausting (laughs) and not that there is not I mean there's certainly potential for me to uh, you know understand it and uh, learn to enjoy it but I need I need help so Rich I'm going to defer to you here (laughs) this this is this is about the reaction I expected (laughs) (laughs) I mean I like I like some pretty weird music but you know I'm this is my first Devo exposure so help me I I know you're I know you're a you're, you're a Primus fan. You're I, would you call yourself a Residence fan yet? I know we. Were, I don't the, think I can call myself a Residence fan yet, um, but it's on my to do list to yeah. become one. Yeah, no, we had the you're kind of talking with you about that is what made me go go to Matt and start the Residence project on Katie's Newses. Mm-hmm. So we were collaborating even before this show. I didn't even. Ah, That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, wheels within wheels. Wheels within wheels. Okay, this is yeah. I, I even said in our in our private notes that Matt was throwing you way into the deep end here. Uh, so deep. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, no, it could have been deeper. He could have thrown you into... Um, hardcore Volume 2 is probably... Because that, to me, Volume 2 of the hardcore ones is like the, the most hardcore. Yeah, it's it's very it's early. Like, it's very raw. It's it's not terribly well recorded. Mm-hmm. It's it, These are two-track... Two uh, recordings. Um, I'm guessing they're from the mixing board, but yeah, they sound like uh, board uh, soundboard tapes. But yeah, in fact, I've actually got a C- the CD here. Let me go grab the liner notes real quick. 
Yeah, I genuinely can't believe I actually have this on CD because it's very hard to. I, it was out of print, and I found it in a used record store just out of sheer luck. <laughs> I I'm old. I actually got those back when they were in print. Same with the Infinite Zero releases. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, when I was starting to get into Devo, um, I remember going to. I think it was still the Wall, which is now Fye Music. Uh, went to a, at the gallery in Philadelphia. A big shopping mall in Center City, and holding physical copies, new in shrink wrap of Hardcore One, Hardcore Two, and Live the Mongoloid Years, and looking at the track list and going, "Where's Whip It?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the Easy Listening disc too. Well, that one does have Whip It. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, wait, Easy Listening? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really want to. I thought it might have been a greatest hits. Thank goodness <laughs> I didn't. Thank goodness I didn't get it. I, it was. There, now, there's your deeper end to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in the complete opposite direction, it's like where these one, where the hardcore and, and mongoloid years are really, really raw, the uh, easy listening disc is purposely bloodless. It's all cheesy instrumental elevator music versions. Okay, here we yes. go. Um, this came out in, what, 92? Uh, sounds about right, 92, 94. Yeah, on the last page of the liner notes, out of 50 hours of pre-record deal recordings, these fragments represent the best of the only audio tapes that escaped total disintegration over the last 15 years. It required thousands of Q-tips, a case of head cleaner, and weeks of primate-style head-scratching for Bob Caselli and myself to mix these ancient four-track recordings. Okay, they're, they're four-track recordings. But still, mm-hmm. that that's yeah. it, it's not the highest fidelity. In fact, I think your album has the highest fidelity of everything, we've, of, of all the ones we're talking about, Andrew. Probably, I, yeah. Could be. I want to talk. I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> so Matt, Matt gave you the end, the explanation. Um, that's the explanation why it sounds the way it does. But it's. I think that might have been part of my problem in trying to access it was the fidelity of it. And I don't know how the, I don't know how the Devo is in the studio or not. But it was it is a very raw sound, like you guys are saying, and that's kind of it's. Um, a little harsh on the ear, not necessarily in a bad way, but just in a kind of a in a less accessible way. In the studio, they sound a lot cleaner. Um, in fact, "Are We Not Men," their first album was uh, was produced by Brian Eno, and you know you know as well as I do that he doesn't uh, he doesn't mess around. Yeah, nope. yeah. It's it especially the the recent remastered version of "Q Are We Not Men." It's gorgeous. It's very clean. You can hear every nuance, every detail, every synthesizer track every bass line every guitar note so that that would probably be if if you thought the music on this was compelling except for maybe the last three three or four songs which (laughs) don't blame (laughs) me there i like them but i understand why someone wouldn't yeah yeah go go dive into the studio versions um my favorite devo live album is from their 1988 tour um but that I know we, Matt and I were discussing this before the show that it's not even he doesn't even think it's their best live album and it probably isn't but it's just got a soft spot for, I've just got a soft spot for it. Um, the uh, album Devo Live 1980. Oh, sorry, one. Wait, sorry. There's two live albums of the '80 tour. This is confusing. There's Devo Live and Devo Live 1980. I think I prefer uh, Devo Live, uh, the the one from the King Biscuit Flower Hour. Yeah. It's not the, the full show, but it's it's much cleaner. Yeah, I think I think on the one that Rhino Handmade put out, there's only like what like a, a Pink Pussycats missing or something like that from that set. Right, but they also they didn't perform some songs that they performed on a lot of the other shows on that tour, which is yeah. 
annoying. Yeah. But then we get the uh, Devo Live 80, which has that, but also has the uh, Tunnel of Love sequence, which yeah, was but... is lost. And so it was like really amazing to be able to see that even in non-perfect quality. And it felt like, when I saw that, it felt like a part of me had been completed. <laughs> Same here. I was like, like uh, Isla, my girlfriend at the time, uh, the, one, the one of um, Sparks brainwashing fame, uh, watched it and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> you know, and she was kind of like, she's a Devo fan and a, a big one, but not like obsessive. <laughs> and so she was sort of like, okay, wh- okay, wow, it's a film of Boogie Boy getting his head squished and then unwrapped okay whatever you know and i was like oh my god this is the coolest thing ever (laughs) but yeah it's diva stuff is music the live experience is very conceptual maybe not Mm. so much in the early years except for that 74 show it is 74 right i think so no 75 okay yeah close enough (laughs) yeah not that you probably would have wanted to be there anyway but uh for that for that show (laughs) Yeah, Although you would have gotten free nitrous. Nah, nitrous. not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, t- I hope this didn't scare you off. Please go check out their first album and work from there. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. And I think with your guys' help, um, I will certainly come to at least enjoy uh, Devo. But I think the other problem was that I am not a Rolling Stones fan. And to lead <laughs> off with, an, uh, with a cover of I Can't Get No Satisfaction... Uh, was not the best introduction to Devo, but no well, fault of theirs. Well, that might have, I don't know. If you're, if you're not a Rolling Stones fan, that's, that cover of Satisfaction might be to your liking because it's everything the Rolling Stones isn't. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I've always described the, the Devo's version of Satisfaction as honest, if that makes sense. Hmm. Because when you hear Mick Jagger saying, I can't get no... You, you know, <laughs> shut the fuck up. You go to the next tour, town on the tour, and you're going to be ruling in it. <laughs> yeah. But when, when Mark Mothers bought, it, you need to see the music video for it to uh, for satisfaction because it it's it it really illustrates the point I'm making for me. But you see nice. Mark Mothers in this yellow chemical suit in these Coke bottle glasses, going, I can't get no satisfaction. And you, it feel you, you actually can tell. You, you looking at me, you go, yeah, this guy couldn't get laid in his life. <laughs> <laughs> and the video just drives that home. Yeah. Cool. Well, I were, I will press on in my Devo experience. Yeah. If if it's still in, like, I don't know if they're still putting them together, but um, the I'd probably, if I were you, I'd, I'd probably pick up the um. Was it the Ultra Devo Lux thingy, whatever it was, where it's like, um, Who Are We Not Men and Freedom of Choice, the remasters in one package? No, they're not doing that anymore. That was a limited edition thing. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. I, cause I, well, being a Devo nerd, I, I bought it the day it came out, so I wasn't really sure if it, it was still around or, or what. But I guess just pick up the two remasters then. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Um, Are We Not Men is just. It's a lot. All, almost every song from Q Are We Not Men is on here. Is on uh, Mongoloid Years. Mm-hmm. So, in drastically different versions, though. In good versions, like really <laughs> high quality versions. <laughs> <laughs> You'll actually be able to listen to Jaka Homa without wanting to throw uh, throw something at something. <laughs> <laughs> it's only and, three minutes long. <laughs> and Freedom of Choice is the one with all the songs people know. Whip it, girl, you want 
freedom of choice. So, Gotcha. So please, I hope we haven't scared you. <laughs> no, nonsense. This is only the beginning of my Devo experience. Well, you survived a trial by fire. I did, indeed. <laughs> well, uh, I guess if we're going around, I'll, I'll take mine now, if that's cool. Go okay. for it. Okay. Um, I picked the album Live at Leeds by The Who. And this is... Um, the album was a... It's from their tour, their 1970 tour to promote the album Tommy. Which, as we all know, is the concept album about the uh, deaf, dumb, and blind boy who uh, plays pinball and becomes the Messiah. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but uh, the, it's interesting. It's gone through a number of reissues, which it sort of ties back to the last uh, episode. And Call I'm so- back! I'm sorry, and I, for which I do apologize for <laughs> if you made it through that. Yeah, more power <laughs> to you. Um, the original LP was just six tracks, um, mostly covers. Uh, in 1995, they expand they expanded it uh, with some with more originals. Then in 2001, they put out the complete concert from Leeds, and uh, just two years ago, for the 40th anniversary of it, they put out a four disc version of it with. A whole second concert from a different uh, recording uh, at Hall, which was what they originally wanted to put out, but they had some problems recording the bass. I've actually I've, I've listened briefly to some of the stuff on the Hall from the Hall concert, which we're not actually we're not going to be talking about that after this. Um, but I didn't notice any missing bass. So, um, and this is this is the album that that made me a Who fan. I mean, I, I like the Who. I was raised on it, but it. It turned me from someone who likes The Who into a fan of The Who, which is a very important distinction. But where I discovered the album for the first time was the soundtrack to Wes Anderson's film Rushmore and a song on there called A Quick One While He's Away, which we'll hear a little bit of now. To avoid actually talking about the album a little more, the in the movie Rushmore, they don't actually use that recording. In Rushmore, they use a different version of the song, uh, which was recorded for the Rolling Stones' Rock and Roll Circus, and it's actually a better version of it. It's fucking amazing is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the Don't get me wrong, the Leeds version is still incredible, but something about the, uh, the Rock and Roll Circus version just pushes it over the top. But I guess they couldn't get the rights to that, so we get Live at Leeds on the Rushmore soundtrack, and I get Live at Leeds in my collection. The Who are one of those bands, I think, that when they're in the studio, they can sometimes lose a little energy. So whenever I want to listen to The Who, especially early Who, not that I really want to listen to Endless Wire anytime. Uh, <laughs> no one does. <laughs> which is half the band. Um, I, I always go for uh, Live at Leeds. And I even I've listened to it so many times that I even consider the version of Tommy from Live at Leeds, even though it's missing a couple cuts, is the canonical version for me. So that that's me. I just I love this. I love the power. I love Keith Moon's drumming. If you don't like Keith Moon's drumming, there's something wrong with you. 
I'd go I mean, along with that. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's Keith fucking Moon. <laughs> Animal. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually I think that's actually on his birth certificate, Keith fucking Moon. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll we'll check. So, please, uh, just oh, please tell me that you 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 feel the same way about this album as I do. That this is just an amazing, raw, powerful document of a band at the height of its of its of its powers. No, I hate it. <laughs> you're a terrible. You're also a terrible liar. Yeah, I know. I I, I love this record. Um, I I love the Who. Uh, I've like for me, like the canonical version of Tommy is still Tommy, which makes okay. sense. <laughs> makes sense. But um, I I love this one. I love you know the versions on here. I love you know the uh, version of Young Man Blues that's on here. Um. Well, quick one, of course. Uh, Summertime blues, uh, even the the really long My Generation. <laughs> you know, it's it's all just a really amazing record. And it was actually like a uh, one of the the, the uh, three that I had originally thought of was uh, kind of playing off of this one. Uh, Too much joys live at least, which you know, it's another really great record too. And from like their. Uh, one of their uh, last tours for their album, finally, which is my favorite record, but of, of theirs. But um, I ended up going with the Devo one anyway. But uh, yeah, I just love this record. The Who are such an amazing band. Uh, I, I I mean, I, that's it's the cool thing is I I'd heard that like basically everyone in the Who was a was the the lead. Like you know, it's like. If you listen to um, the Ox's bass lines, they're very fancy and they're very much like lead bass. And yes. and you know Roger Daltrey's the lead singer, of course. And same with um, Pete Townsend's guitar lines; they're very much lead. And then of course Keith Fucking Moon. <laughs> so I it's but it all works. It's not people fighting for the lead. It's they're all the lead, but it they also work together to make this amazing band and you know between live and leads and say like the uh, documentary um kids are all right definitely love the who definitely love the who so oh no <laughs> no 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 it's not as bad as as the devo experience um, <laughs> i i like the who i don't love the who um and I found that this, I totally agree with you, Rich, that this is a great live album, very raw, it's very powerful, uh, a great representation of The Who's energy and their musicianship. Um, but to be honest, it didn't really alter, or it didn't convert me like it converted you. Um, and I like a, a handful of Who songs, you know, My Generation and Eminence Front and Pinball Wizard and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm a huge John Entwistle fan. I've got a couple videos of him in the show notes, one of him... Uh, doing a solo, like a five-minute solo during the song 515 or 515, I'm not sure how you say it. 515. Um, 515. And it's just unbelievable, like the, the musicianship of all of them, but John Entwistle especially. And um, Matt, you mentioned that lead bass sort of quality that he has, and he was one of the pioneering uh, figures when it came to lead, that idea of lead bass playing. Um, and what I love about his playing especially is that the Who are such an energetic live act and such a powerful live act. Um, and even not being a fan, I got that. I got the feeling of that uh, through this recording. But John Entwistle is content to just stand there totally stoically and just 
make the whole building shake without batting an eyebrow. And uh, I just think that's really cool. And I think I forget where I read it. So I think I was reading something about John and Whistle, but um, the the writer described him as the eye in the the hurricane in the Who's Hurricane because you've got you know Roger Daltrey gallivanting about and um, Pete Townsend doing the the guitar on what do you call that the wind, arm, wind, wind the mill. windmill the windmill and Keith fucking Moon um, and John Entwistle just standing there and and just rumbling the whole building. So the, I also have a couple isolated bass videos. Uh, on YouTube in the show notes, and that really helps to give you a sense of just how integral his bass tone was uh, to the Who's sound. So uh, this was a lot to digest for me because I don't know Tommy by heart, so it wasn't like so it was pretty much you know how much, however many tracks there are over like 33 tracks here, um, not including the whole second show. Uh, so it was a lot to digest. So I need to um, spend some more time with it, but. Um, you know, I enjoyed listening to it. A quick one while he's away. I thought that was cool. I had to read up about that because I wasn't, I didn't know anything about it. But I like the concept. Uh, Wikipedia actually says that it's one of the first real progressive rock songs, just because it has the six different movements. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was cool. But uh, I enjoyed it, and uh, I'm I don't have any live Who in my collection, so I'm glad to uh, to have this. And I also liked. I know that Rich, you said that they this captures them at kind of the peak of their powers, but. It was recorded at the University of Leeds, right? That's what Leeds is. Yeah. And what I liked about it, and I don't know how true this is because I don't know much about the venue, but it felt to me with all the, the stage banter in between songs and stuff and even the beginning, just the few seconds where you hear them warm up and kind of tune up, it had a kind of an intimate feel to it. Even though it was very powerful, I could envision them like playing in a university type of setting. I don't know how big the venue was. but um, So overall... You know, I enjoyed it a lot. It didn't turn me into a, a huge fan of The Who, but uh, I'm glad to have it. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you... I actually just checked on the size. They played the, the uh, refectory, refectory mm-hmm. uh, British terms, <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> Leeds Univers- at the Leeds University, uh, which is a actually a 2,100-person venue, which... Okay. It's no sta- it's no stadium. That's right. I always Because I always think of them as a stadium rock band nowadays yeah. or you know, in recent mm-hmm. years. Oh, and by the way, one of the things I like about uh, Quick One Out While He's Away from uh, Rock and Roll Circus, and it's one where, like, it was cut from the original film of Rock and Roll Circus, and the the reasoning often given is that the the, uh, who blew the stones away. (laughs) So they were like, this is too good. We can't, you know, we can't have it out. (laughs) Oh, from my understanding, they didn't actually, they didn't just cut that out of the film. They cut... The film. They they actually the, Mick Jagger watched this and went, "We can't have this out here if we're going to get shown up like this." And just shelved the entire project. <laughs> wow. So I know that, I know that the Rock and Roll Circus film ever eventually did come out, and I think I think the one that's available now does have a quick one. But well, there's a but, link to the there's a link to that performance in the show notes. So good, 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 and it's also in um, Kids Are All Right too. So. So at least it did. It did uh, sneak out from uh, Mick Jagger's oily, from under, greasy wrath, wrath. From under, from under his thumb. Yes. <laughs> I I couldn't resist. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is that it? I'm live at Leeds. Uh, I think so. So should we do my turn? Yes. 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 yes we should. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so my pick this week. I have a lot of 
favorite live albums, and I listen to a lot of live music, and I go see a lot of live music. And uh, I wouldn't say that this is my favorite live album of all time, but I just thought it was kind of a, a unique pick, and uh, so I thought I'd go with it. But it's Shadows and Light, which is by Joni Mitchell, and it was uh, recorded at the Santa Barbara County Bowl in September 1979. And this was part of uh, the tour for her Mingus album. And I'm not, uh, I love Joni Mitchell, but I don't, uh, I'm not a completionist. I don't um, have a grasp on her entire discography. I'm mostly most uh, interested in uh, her sort of quote-unquote jazz period uh, in the late 1970s. And that's where this show is from. And I think we'll just play uh, the track that I selected, which is Coyote. And we'll play that for you guys now. So the thing I love about Coyote is, um, well, first of all, before I even talk about that, um, what really makes this live album stand out for me is that Joni Mitchell is backed by one of the greatest bands uh, of all time. You've got Pat Metheny on lead guitar, Jaco Pastorius on bass, Don Elias on drums, Lyle Mays on keyboards, Michael Brecker on saxophone, and also the Persuasions, which sing backing vocals on Why Do Fools Fall in Love and Shadows and Light. And... What I love about this record is that you have such talented players, um, all of which have put out great albums, great jazz albums in their own right. And in the case of, uh, I know, Pat Metheny and Jaco Pastorius in particular were quite virtuosic on their instruments. And yet on this record, you really sort of almost get a sense of class in the sense that they're working totally for the good of the song. They're totally content being sidemen. To, uh, to Joni's voice and to her vision and to her songs. And I just find that really inspiring. Um, so when it comes to Coyote, um, I just love the music of it and especially the interplay between uh, Joni's voice and Jocko's bass. Uh, Jocko Pastorius being probably the most famous and greatest bass player to ever have lived, uh, died in 1987 um, very prematurely and was one of the pioneers of the fretless bass, which you really get to hear uh, in its full glory on this record. Uh, and I just love the way his bass is, because he's known for his very melodic playing, and it complements Joni's voice very well. And that kind of does a couple of things, because it points out, it sort of illuminates how Joni's voice itself is an instrument. And it also takes the bass, which is traditionally, and was before Jocko, uh, a very rhythmic instrument, you know, part of the rhythm section, and Jocko turned it into this totally beautiful, melodic, uh, singing quality uh, instrument, uh, which is just fantastic. And the one thing I would stress to listen to on Coyote is the harmonics uh, that Jocko and Pat Metheny actually pop into there, and um, they're just gorgeous. And uh, put a couple of other tracks from the show into the show notes, especially Jocko's solo, uh, which was actually omitted from the Let's see. Omitted from the CD. It's only available on the DVD, I think. Um, and there's also the dry cleaner from Des Moines, which, another, with, which is another great track that emphasizes Joni's uh, voice as an instrument because she kind of has that jazz. She's not really scatting, but she kind of has that 
that jazz feel to her voice. I think I put Black Crow in there also, and maybe a couple of others. Um, yeah, I have I have the live DVD, and it's it's not a great live DVD. It's kind of better than uh, it's kind of an album that works better when you listen to it because the DVD is interspersed with a lot of I don't know what you call it, but like filler. Um, so like during Coyote, almost like they play a music video during a live concert and show the video instead of the musicians which is kind of annoying mm. uh, so like during coyote they'll show video of a coyote running around for like five minutes when you really want to be watching the musicians uh, which is kind of a drag but still a great album and uh, just incredible musicians and a great uh, great backing band and a great lineup so what'd you guys think uh, i guess I'll, I'll start with those uh, well i wanted to say first of all you have picked of the three albums we're talking about this is the best recorded definitely yeah. This is the, the the production is gorgeous and Jaco's bass. Uh, that's the first thing I really notice. It, it's, it's such an amazing bass tone. Yeah, it really kicks in there when in France they kiss on Main Street starts. Mm-hmm. It just comes in and it's like it just grabs you and it's fantastic. And this is the the we should note that this is the latest. I think I think it's even later than Devo because Devo was what mid seventies the Devo record. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it yeah. came out in '92, but it was recorded. Uh, the last thing that was recorded on that was '77. Okay, and this was recorded in '79. So, mm-hmm. but uh, this is, I, it's incredibly be- beautiful to listen to. Incredibly well performed. I just have one problem with it, mm-hmm. and that's I just I really I don't like Joni Mitchell's voice that much. <laughs> well, that'll do it. I, I'm. Some of it, sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not. It just, on Coyote especially, it just didn't really work for me, her vocals. Her, just the, I don't know, I don't know if it's the, the fact that it's the vocal jazz delivery, I've never been a fan, a fan of that style yeah. of singing in general, or if it's something about her voice. I, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with her work. Um, so, it's, it's like, it's this, Gorgeous, amazing! This this incredible meal topped off with a sauce that's meh, not not to my liking, but hmm. <laughs> I mean it's it's I can I'll eat it I'll, I'll listen to this this is good stuff, <laughs> and I'm glad and I'm glad you put the link to Jocko's solo in the in the show notes because I was when I was looking at, I was looking at the uh, just the Wik- no there's not much information on the Wikipedia article but I wanted to look at it and it's like Jocko's yeah. solo there's no there's no bass solo on this album oh god damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's on YouTube though, so it'll be in the in the show notes. Yeah, because I, I after hearing his bass tone I, and hearing him play through the first few songs, I wanted to hear that, and especially since he's doing uh, according to Wikipedia, a bit from Third Stone from the Sun by Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ajaco Pastorius live solo is really an assault on the ears, and it's fantastic. And one of the ones that comes that best comes to mind, he's he's kind of known for doing a bass a live bass solo called Slang. That's just the name of his, his solo composition uh, during live shows. And this is in the show notes too also, but one of the best uh, versions of that comes from Weather Report's uh, 8.30 live album. And uh, it's about almost a five-minute solo, and it's just um, amazing because he goes from... He, he loops uh, the little chord progression and uh, jams over it and just plays these amazing melodic jazz lines, and then he whips the distortion on and just knocks your ears off with the third stone from the sun 
quote and then goes back um, and then drops the distortion and uh, plays Portrait of Tracy, which is his uh, all harmonic uh, composition, which is just beautiful. And uh, it's really a, a dynamic tour de force, especially as far as, you know, bass solos go. It, it's it's on my list. Uh, as soon as as soon as I get off the show, stop recording. I'm actually going to go check that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably uh, talk about Weather Report on a Weather Report album on a, a future show. So, all right. I'd like to hear what Matt think, thought about this one. Okay. Um, like Rich, uh, I'm not that familiar with uh, Joni Mitchell's. Like whenever I think of her, I always think of that reference in uh, Weird Al's "I'll Be Mellow When I'm Dead." Uh, no Joni Mitchell eight tracks in my car. <laughs> so. Um, so this is kind of like, I mean, I, I've been aware of her and I, you know, heard some stuff of hers, like, you know, around cause it's, you know, she's not, you know, she, she's not exactly an, an obscure person. I don't think, you know, no. um, so, but it, this is like the first time I've really like sat down and listened to Joni Mitchell and I kind of had a little bit of like Rich's thing with her vocal, like, but sometimes, like sometimes it was just perfect and just fit. And then other times it was sort of like, eh. But, but uh, overall, I, I, I dug it. Um, Do you have an example of like what songs you enjoyed versus what vocal performances you didn't? Um, let's see. I, um, I actually didn't really jot down many of the songs that, I didn't, that it didn't quite work on for me. Oh, that's okay. I'll volunteer for this one. Okay. Go for it. Uh, I really liked the vocals actually on Amelia. Mm-hmm. And in France, the kiss on Main Street was good, too. Uh, yeah. These are just the things off the top of my head. Um, but again, Coyote and Goodbye Pork Pie Hat and even the Dry Clean it, and most of everything else, it just it just didn't really click. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Eh. I mean, yeah. When, it, when it's good, it's good. When it's not, when it's, when, it, when it's, when it's not, it's not terrible. It's just sort of like you kind of go, oh. Yeah. But it's not like, oh, I'm going to snap this record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love I love Joni Mitchell, but like I said at the beginning, I don't uh, have a full grasp on her entire discography. It's mostly just this period um, when she was kind of, from what I've read, venturing into the jazz realm of things with a few albums. And um, I I started listening to Joni Mitchell because I was interested in Jocko, and I wanted to get more of his stuff and I had read that he had done some albums with Joni Mitchell and he was very influential in the recording of those records and the three in addition to this live album the three that with her on most are Hajira and Don Juan's Reckless Daughter and then the Mingus album um, all of which are great records that I really enjoy so I don't know maybe because this is her sort of jazz period maybe her vocal delivery is um less characteristic of her normal vocal delivery because uh, I know that she ref- she received a fair share of criticism um, while she was doing this sort of jazz experiment exploration type thing so maybe that has something to do with it okay. she's not the best jazz singer perhaps and, and, and speaking of the band too is like I, I like because I when I listen to the picks um, like if if I don't know them I don't do any research until afterward. Mm-hmm. So I I went in blind on this one, and so when she introduces the band on uh, like halfway through the second disc, yeah, I w- I was floored. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my god, oh my god. You know, <laughs> and I mean, not 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 in a you know like, oh man, these guys are playing this kind of way, yeah. but just in a sort of like you know you you don't expect like you know like a someone who's like a solo artist like Joni Mitchell to have 
like such a huge name filled band. Right. You know, I mean, it's like sort of like, you know, you, you expect, you know, oh, here's a bunch of session guys, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then you have, you know, Jacob Pistorius, Pat Metheny, and it's sort of like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought that was like pretty cool. And um, I also liked how the, it, it felt like a, a complete project. Like, I mean, like with the introduction track, right. I, I really liked the samples in there. I thought that was like a really cool um, setup. And honestly, can you ever go wrong with uh, Frankie Lyman and the teenagers singing I Am Not a Juvenile Delinquent? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't think you can. (laughs) Um, Like, uh, I guess for me, like if um, I I did like Coyote, by the way, I I actually got kind of a Laurie Anderson vibe from that one, honestly. So Um, and like very evocative lyrics. I, I mean, she's a great lyricist. Yeah. Oh, the, the lyrics are great. I, I, I'm, I'm glad Matt brought those up because I didn't think to. <laughs> yeah, good point. And I, I guess for me, like the thing that, like I, the part of the album that was a little bit hard going was uh, Don's solo into Dreamland, because mm-hmm. to me it was just too long. Like I just, like I, I ended up like kind of thinking to myself, like, okay, I'm, I'm sick of drums now. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I'm glad. not. I'm not. I'm not one to listen to drum solo tracks. I mean, even Rush, which is one of my favorite bands of all time, and Neil Peart is one of the greatest drummers of all time, but I I rarely sit through the entire drum solo. Not that I mind them when I'm actually at the concert, but I see right. where you're coming from there. Yeah, and I think there is like very much a difference about, and I mean, we can probably talk about this later, is um, concert versus live albums. Like, I mean, like I love Ween, and, but I mean, like on, on uh, one of their live albums, uh, Paint in the Town Brown, the second disc is three tracks long, two of which are half-an-hour versions of um, Poop Ship Destroyer and uh, Vallejo, I think, is the other one. And while I would love that live, I almost never listen to them on record. Yeah. You know, they, they just, you know, it, it's so much different when you, in terms of energy, like, you can feed off of that when you're there in the same room, but on a record, it just kind of ends up being kind of flat, and you're kind of like, okay, yeah. Um... So again, I kind of got that same thing with Don Solo and Dreamland. I was just sort of like, and and that, and I mean, like to me, the the drum solo wasn't terribly interesting either. It was kind of a more of an extended intro to Dreamland than really a solo in itself. Yeah. And it just to me, it just wasn't that interesting a figure. Mm-hmm. And so I was just sort of like, okay, I get the point. Drum, okay. <laughs> and that kind of killed Dreamland for me. But and I was like, sort of like. Oh well, maybe the rest is as good or something. And then, and then Free Man in Paris came in, and I was like, "Oh, okay, no, the, this record's awesome." So, yeah. and I was also kind of you know surprised to hear the Persuasions too, just because you know like uh, they're they're pretty awesome. And Frank Zappa discovered them, which is pretty cool too. So, right. I I was just sort of like, she goes like, "Okay, we're gonna bring the Persuasions back out." And I was like, "Well, that's new." <laughs> <laughs> I I in general I dug it. It's not one that I necessarily. Well, I don't know, like, it didn't completely grab me, like, like oh my god, except for, like, a few tracks, like, Three Men in Paris. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely enjoyed it, and I, I probably will have to at least, you know, check out more Joni Mitchell, or at least, you know, be more aware of her, or, or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's take a moment. Uh, we did an experiment for this episode. We asked a bunch of people what their favorite live albums were on uh, various means. Twitter... Uh, our new Facebook page and 
on uh, our own web on crossradio.com and I don't know how, how do we want to go about doing this I guess we can probably just you know pull up individual and then individual people and then kind of talk about their their picks if if we know them and you know otherwise just kind of be like oh yeah that's totally a record yeah <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to be like that for most of them <laughs> So well, probably so am I. Um, well, the first one we got was uh, "Stop Making Sense," and we already discussed that one. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're saving that. Yes, yes we we are. it's it's mind blowing. Um, some some guy named uh, Jonathan Colton responded to uh, to the Twitter call with uh, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh, Unleash in the East by Judas Priest and Worldwide Live by Scorpions. Uh, a, it might have, that also might have been actually a pick by some guy named John Roderick. I don't know if you ever heard of them either. Yeah, some some band called Long Winters or something. Like I, I guess they're big, like uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder fans. I don't know. Something about a space shuttle. I don't know. Mm. Now we we no disrespect, Matt. We love John Roderick. We love Jonathan Colton. Madly and passionately. Saying, yeah, and I'm seeing them tonight, so they're not going to hear this before then. But if they hear it afterwards, I'm like, oh, that's that jerk. <laughs> I thought he was so nice at the show. Now he's such an asshole. <laughs> we should, are you guys both Long Winters fans? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not a huge, huge fan. Like my girlfriend mm. is. Quinn. Quinn adores them. I think I've mentioned that before. But um, mm. I dig them, and I'm kind of coming around on John Colton too more with uh, like the um, Artificial Heart um, stuff. I, I need to get that record. But like, I saw them. I saw him and his band open for. Uh, they might be giants, and and Roderick was there too. And I was like, some of this stuff I really really liked, like the the one about the shop back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge Long Winters fan. Just recently, probably within a year, um, but I'm a huge John Roderick and Long Winters fan. And um, I've only slightly dabbled in Jonathan Colton stuff, um, but that's on my to do list also. So we we might have to have a a Joko slash John Roderick uh, show in the future. Mm. And if you are listening, Mr. Colton or Mr. Roderick, and you'd like to be a guest on that program, so I guess about the records, though, like I, I wish I were more of a metal fan. I, I mean, I am a little, I am a bit, but I like with like you know, I, I don't have you know any Scorpions other than you know the singles or or same with Judas Priest, really. But me neither. Yeah, I never got into either of those. So, um. Just not quite, not really my thing. Not really my thing. Um, Our sincere on, apologies, Mr. Rodder. <laughs> Mr. Roderick and Colton. <laughs> yes. on, on the website, we got a comment from, uh, from Janet, who I think is a friend of yours, Matt. Yeah, Janet uh, Brusselbach, amazing artist. And you can Isn't find she, her stuff at uh, brusselbach.com. Isn't she the one doing the teleportraiture stuff? Yes, that is indeed who Janet is. I'm actually going to throw a link to her in the show notes and along with the teleportraiture because I think that's a separate site. Cool. I would have I would have totally done that if I had the time to and sat down and propose and give money for that. <laughs> yeah, like uh, for folks who don't know the teleportraiture was uh, she did a series of portraits through uh, various things like Skype or Google Hangouts rather than having, you know, people in the room with her in the kind of like traditional way of of posing, so that also includes you know some of the uh, you know uh, video artifacts and and stuff like that sometimes as well. So it's it's kind of an in- interesting um, idea. So, but anyway, what did she talk about? Oh, let's see. Um, 
But she, the first one she mentioned is Remember by the Fiery Furnaces. I'll let you talk about that one. Yeah, I, I like that one. It's, it's, a, it's a very cool approach to a live album. It's um, instead of just basically like, you know, here's a concert or, or here's some of the best of the concerts that we've done on this tour. It's very like a lot of the songs have been like completely rearranged songs sung over other other song backings heavily edited and it's like very much its own animal it's almost like hesitate to call it a live album kind of i guess kind of in the same way that some of like zappa's albums aren't really live albums in the the true sense of the word where like like on like a zappa shake your booty where he has like songs where he would put solos off of other things and Sometimes they he'd mix time signatures and and stuff like that, and it's kind of that same kind of animal. And I mean, I I I, guess I don't know enough about you know the history of live albums, but I think it's basically that kind of den is basically occupied more or less by uh, Zappa and the Fiery Furnaces, and that's about it. <laughs> she also mentions uh, Daft Punk's Alive. I'm guessing she's referring to Alive 2007 because there's two of them. Uh, one from, I want to say, 97? Yeah, I think 97, yeah. Yeah, yeah which is really more of an EP. So yeah, uh, I'll talk about Alive 2007, because that's cool. one of my absolute favorite uh, electronic albums. And it's interesting because it's it's sort of... They're doing they're doing these live mashups of their, of their existing material on this show, and combining stuff like um, the... Uh, so the, they're, they're probably the most famous song around the world with uh, a song from, their, from, the new, from the new album at the time, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, and it works. All these songs that... It, it's Every title on the record is one, out, one song slash another song. So, and it, they're, all, they're throwing in all these other... Um, you'll have like the, uh, a lead from this, from a different song on top of like the, the main meat of, say, um, a face-to-face or uh, one more time and it's if I'm not ter- enough detailed enough into Daft Punk that I can identify every bit of it but it's just such an, a rocking high-energy electronic album it's one of those albums if I'm at work and I need to put on something that just it's going to wake me up that goes on and isn't that basically indexed as like one long hour-long track too isn't it no, no, it's all individual tracks. I think it's alive to 1997. Yeah, 1997 is uh, indexed as a 45-minute, 33-second track. Oh, uh, well, okay. See, I see what they did there. <laughs> I need to get some more Daft Punk because uh, a couple of shows ago, Umphreys McGee did a cover of Voyager, uh, which was very enjoyable. And then I have the Tron, the Tron soundtrack, Um because a lot of people say that they use that to write while they're writing. They use it as um, background writing music, um, and it didn't didn't particularly grab me right away. So I need to need to delve deeper. Yeah. Well, yeah. the Daft Punk, the sorry, the Tron soundtrack isn't quite um, what they're on, what they usually do. But then again, it's mm-hmm. a film soundtrack. It's a score. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's, it's not really what I guess Daft Punk is you know necessarily all about, but it is a pretty good record, I think. But I, I can see why it wouldn't grab you. Right. Yeah, you'll, you'll probably do well to start with. Uh, I really like the album uh, "Human After All," but I know that's one that a lot of people slagged. Those people are idiots. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think the big complaint was that it was all really repetitive, and I'm, I just I'm thinking 
do you listen to electronic music at all? <laughs> oh, it's too repetitive. At the risk of, I'm going to sound terribly pretentious, but a lot of modern electronic music, stuff like Daft Punk, has its roots in experimental kraut rock, which was built around basically repeating and repeating. Just listen to um, early Kraftwerk, Noia, Khan. Um, yeah, it's 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 borderline drone music at times. Mm-hmm. And let's see, Human After All, that's the one with uh, Technologic on it, right? The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Edit, bass rewind it, that one? Yes. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and Robot Rock and all kinds of good, all, all kinds of good songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think for me, like the album that I like of theirs is, um, I think it's Discovery, though, uh, the hit one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the one with Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, uh, One More Time, that stuff. Mm-hmm. That one has Voyager on it, too, according to the track list here. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually an, an, a movie that goes along with it that's by... Um, Leiji uh, Matsumoto, uh, a famous uh, anime director, uh, who did uh, Space Station Yamato and stuff like that, and it's actually really pretty cool. It's called uh, Interstellar or Interstellar Five 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 Five. Yeah, been meaning to check that out. Yeah, Janet, Janet also mentioned not making sense. <laughs> Everyone mentions not making sense. <laughs> As you do. Um, Neko cases the tigers have spoken. Not familiar with that one. <laughs> oh, oh, Nico is awesome. Yeah, I've heard two things about Nico Case. I'm sorry. Yeah, Nico, not Nick, Nico. I'm sorry. I took a year of Japanese, and it still and it rubbed off. <laughs> yeah. Tori Amos's To Venus and Back is uh, another one she mentions. That one I don't know. Yeah. And on the Facebook, we've got uh, Aaliyah Sisko. Slisko. Oh, Isla. Isla, sorry. Yeah. Small font. <laughs> Isla, Isla Slisko <laughs> yeah. mentions uh, Blondie's uh, Picture This Live. I don't well, know because I've, I've never been like a huge Blondie fan. Like, by the way, this is Isla of the Sparks brainwashing fam. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I'm not ter- terribly familiar with Blondie too. I, I know I, I like some of her stuff. <laughs> I'll make it there. Song. It's a band. <laughs> 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 she's Deborah Harry. The band is Blondie, <laughs> and she and she's touring with Devo apparently. So in, yeah. in the fall, um, Concrete Blonde live in Brazil. Awesome album. The Kinks to the Bone. That one, I think that's the later one. Um, Isla's way more into the Kinks than I am, but I like the Kinks a lot. I'm actually seeing uh, Ray pretty soon, like next month. Um, I think that's one of the later ones from the 90s. I could be wrong. And French by the Buzzcocks. Buzzcocks are pretty cool, too. Oh, yeah. In fact, I actually prefer Magazine, which is uh, Howard DeVoto, the, uh, the vocalist, when they started out. That was his second band. Yeah. I'm going to have to use them as a pick for something in the near future. Um, if we're talking about Buzzcock solo, I like uh, Pete Shelley's um, Homo Sapien record too. Oh, that yeah, that, that's pretty good for it's a it's an electronic one. But, yeah, yeah. The new magazine album's very good. I'll probably pick that for an, account, an upcoming episode. Cool. Okay, and I, where did I see someone somewhere mentioned uh, the name of this band is Talking Heads, and I wish I could find them. I'm oh, sorry. that was uh, my friend Lee. Uh, let me uh, bring that one up, and I can mention his picks. I'm sorry, we're leaving you out again, Andrew. That's okay. Well, you, yeah, I think you've got a friend that mentioned a pick too. So, didn't you? Do, do I? Like PHL girl? <laughs> oh, that was me. Oh, that was you. Okay. <laughs> and she, and she mentioned it's not making sense. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay. Um, my friend Lee mentioned um, uh, "Name Is Band Is Talking Heads" is one of the best live albums ever. I concur, uh, especially the. Uh, two-disc one that Rhino put out um, not too long ago. Like, I guess about five years ago now. 
We're not going to talk about Stop Making Sense, but is it better than Stop Making Sense? No. Um, it's, it's not better, but it's different. Oh, yeah, I'll go with that. It, it's, it's very, very good and very, very much getting, but Stop Making Sense is sort of the alpha and the omega. So. Yeah, right. But you should still get uh, the name of this band is Talking Heads because it's two different sides of Talking Heads. You've got... Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first disc is all um, a show from 78. I think, yeah, 70. it's like the, the early, earlier era. Yeah, it, it's just, it, they're a four-piece. Um, it's all nervous energy and very simple play, and they're simple stuff, simple sound. It, it's, it's very clean. It, it's very, it, it's, it's all the, it's everything that you get from, say, Talking Head 77 or um, more songs about building some food. Just sort of cranked up to 11. Yeah, like I think there's like a really awesome version of Pulled Up on that one, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'm looking at it. I've got almost every track on the first disc five-starred in iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's also got the uh, extra verse in Psycho Killer. Oh, yeah. And, and, it, and it has also a clean break, which is a, a song that really should have gotten a studio treatment. Yeah. And then disc two is from the uh, tour for Remain in Light. And so suddenly they're, they're like, what, what were they, a 10-piece? Yeah, I was going to say, that's the ex- like one of the beginning of the Expanded Heads lineup, isn't it? Yeah. And there's actually, I should probably link this in the show notes, there's a video of them from the same tour in Rome, which is... Oh! Yeah. Which I think is even better than um, the, uh, the, the version on the album. Cool. Yeah. Um, from that tour, everything is... Uh, you can see where the, where the sound that they're going for for speaking in tongues and therefore stop making sense came from. You can hear that on this, and yeah. I'll definitely have to link to the Rome show because it's sort of it, it, it's imagine stop make the stop making sense show without the visuals as just a wash on stage as just the band playing, mm-hmm. and it's still incredibly compelling. And I guess the other one that Lee mentioned was uh, David Live from uh, Bowie, of course. Um, yeah. But only the restored CD version because the uh, vinyl one is basically terrible. <laughs> and I, I concur with David Live, although I actually, I think of the two, I prefer stage. Um, but I think that it's like that one is a couple of years later. Like I think David Live is on the Diamond Dogs tour, which is amazing. Uh, but I think um, stage, I think I want to say is on the low tour. Because um, there's stuff like uh, Warzawa on there, and that maybe Lodger tour. I don't, but but like Berlin era tour. <laughs> Let's say okay. like, say that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. But honestly, you can't go wrong with either of them. Get get them both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't actually have any. The only David Bowie live album I have is uh, from the expanded version of Station to Station, which is what Santa Monica. Yeah, seventy five. Seventy five. Which is it's which is really good. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that one was a, a a reclaimed bootleg. I seem to remember. Well, all the best ones are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bowie. Bowie. I should probably. I, I. It's hard because there. I, I keep hearing that all of his live albums are actually kind of crap. So. I think I think the original releases were because I've heard that like stage was originally pretty shitty too. Yeah. But um, I think it was Ryko uh, put them out in really nice expanded editions. Like um, again, I want to say like five six years ago, and they're really 
really well done, really nice, and basically what they should have been. Okay. I will say this, though. David Live was recorded not terribly far from where I'm sitting right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, at the uh, Tower Theater in uh, Upper Darby. It's listed on Wikipedia as being in Philadelphia. It's not. It's on the mm. other side of 69th Street. That's Upper Darby. <laughs> and so that's, uh, yeah, that's not too far from me. I'm, at 40, I'm on 45th Street. <laughs> wow. You could walk back and go uh, 40 years back in time and... I wish. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I still haven't seen a show at the Tower Theater. I can never find out when I... The Tower Theater has no website. I have no idea what's coming there. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe they're back in time with Bowie. Maybe he plays there every night because it's, you know, 40 years ago on that very night. Maybe that's why the Ryko edition is so good. They just sent, like, a, a tape guy to pick him up, you know, with, you know, <laughs> modern modern equipment. And it was like, yeah, okay, we'll go, to, we'll go see tonight's uh, Dave, uh, David live set. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I don't know. You can really clean things up. The original version, I should have mentioned this uh, for Live at Leeds, the original Live at Leeds recording was all marred with um, cracks and crackling and popping because uh, there was a problem with John Entwistle's bass cable. And in the 90s, when they were able to... Uh, it, they, they had to put out something because at least this one had bass, unlike the whole concert, so they put that out. There's even a note inside the packaging saying, keep the... Uh, yeah, don't remove cracking or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they, came out, when they re-released it in 95... Uh, and then further on, they just they were able to clean it all up. Uh, finally, with with you know technology, basically. <laughs> yeah, and isn't that kind of why the album looks like a bootleg too? Is sort of like a nod to the kind of questionable sound quality. I think so. Also, I think it, it's also just a cool look. Well, that too. Yeah. So one other thing I thought we said we might kind of talk about we might talk about is just some of our favorite live experiences. Um, for me, it's like I, I I really enjoy shows going going to see them and like I don't know I've had so many good experiences like I've seen the residents uh, tw- no three times three times now and each one has been amazing um, I saw them on the Icky Flicks tour which is actually available on a DVD that the residents put out I think it might be a limited edition thing I don't know but I was actually at that show which was pretty cool. And um, the the Demons Dance Flown tour, which was gorgeous, even though the the DVD of that tour is so bad, <laughs> but the but the actual show was amazing. And then again on the uh, Talking Light tour, which was really pretty amazing too. Um, I, I guess for me, like a, a lot of times, like the the best tours are the ones that have like kind of a theatrical quality. And I I don't necessarily mean props, but I guess like kind of more. Uh, presence you know it's they they're they're there to to put on a show i guess and even if it's just them on stage like with the uh, zappa plays zappa tours are really good where uh, dweezil plays his dad's music and they've got like a really crackerjack band um but it's it's kind of like uh yeah it's just like they're they're it's very visually compelling like i mean i've seen like uh some concerts and where it's just sort of like Oh yeah, hey, how's it how's it going? Here here's this here's a song we wrote. Do 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 do. Hey, um, here's another song we wrote. No 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 You know, and that's kind of I don't know you I don't know if you like if the band is good enough it can work, but otherwise you feel a little ripped off. I think. Yeah, I, I agree um, completely. I agree completely. 
Yeah, I mean, like one of the like I, I saw um, at a festival. I saw it was uh, built to spill, and that was basically their their stage banter was. I think they were high, because because no, I mean, like they were actually talking about. Well, from what you could make out, they were talking about like weed and, and stuff. But like it was basically just really really mumbly, and there'd be like you know, um, uh, hmm, uh, 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 for like ten minutes, and they'd talk to each other off mic. And then they'd be like, "Okay, do you want do you want to do this song now?" Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, huh? And it'd be like you know, like you know, four or five minutes between songs while they figured out what to play, and it's like sort of like this is why God invented set lists, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've always gravitated to bands that actually get that give a show show. Yeah, and I've seen the Resonance three times as well. I actually saw. I didn't. I missed Icky Flex. Uh, and Demon's Dance Alone, so I'm, I'm very envious of you. <laughs> but I've, I saw the Buddy Boy tour. And I'm envious of you for that one. Yeah, that was it was a really amazing show, marred by being in the absolute worst venue for it. Mm. Uh, I saw them, they were playing a play, place in Philadelphia called the Trocadero. Oh, where the Dead Nockman record was recorded. Yeah. And the, the Trocadero is this gorgeous old burlesque house. And it's got a really high stage, which is okay, I guess, if you're doing a standing show. I mean, they host a lot of, like, punk and metal. I saw, um, what's his name from Bauhaus? Peter Murphy there, which was fine. Uh, but for the residents, you know, it was a seated show. And so I'm sitting the the entire time with my neck craned all the way back, <laughs> looking uh, up on a 10-foot high stage with about another 10 feet of clearance on top of that as they do... An amazing theatrical performance, and I'm slowly feeling the vertebrae in my neck go out of alignment. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sounds like the um, when I saw them on uh, the Talking Light tour, they played a uh, Numos, which is a kind of kind of shitty club in Seattle. <laughs> They're o- it's okay, but it's like very much a punk club, and it was one where like so there was no seating, even though we're seeing what's very much a theatrical show. And it's like, I'm just like completely overheating, like to the point where I was feeling like so sick. I was thinking I might have to leave early just from the heat. And I ended up like walking over to the bar where I found like actually like an air vent coming down. So I stood under that, like away from all my friends and watched the rest of the show and felt a lot better. I'd seen them before at the King Cat, which is a really awesome jazz theater, which is a sit down thing. That was where the Demon Dance, Demon's Dance Alone tour was. And that was, like, a perfect venue for the residents because it was, like, very much a a serious music venue, you know. Yeah. So you had seats and, you know, a very nice stage, and you were, you were seeing some serious music, you know, <laughs> where the uh, new Moses, you're, you know, you're, you're going to see a punk show. Yeah. When I saw them, for, I've seen them twice on the Talking Light Tour and both at the same venue, World Cafe Live here in Philadelphia, which is also where I'm going tonight for Joe Cohen, John Roderick show. Have I flogged this enough? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's in, it was two different. It was two very different. It's interesting. World Cafe Live. Sometimes they do seated shows. Sometimes they do standing shows. Sometimes they do both. When I saw them the first time, it was actually it was kind of it was a dinner show. Um. They had tables and chairs, and you could, and you had to order food, which is fine because the food there's good. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, you're basically the tables were cleared by the time the show started. But mm. but uh, the second time I went, it was it was a standing show, it was general admission, and we're all 
and the vibe was completely different, even though it was the same basic show. I think even the residents were feeling that because they were having a little more fun that time. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it, 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 that's still a very theatrical show. Did you get the same stories both times, or... No, no. Cool, cool. I guess I guess for the people who don't know, the Talking Light Tour is uh, kind of modular in that they have, like, their... Um, a set that's kind of a greatest hit set, but it's interrupted by the lead singer, Randy, um, telling different stories. And I think there's a set of, like, ten stories or so that rotate in and out for each show. Yeah. So With that cool handheld projector thing. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I've got a I've got a a, a, con- a story of my absolutely amazing first favorite concert experience, but I want to let Andrew say something. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, no, I've seen a, a bunch of concerts, and I've been privileged to see a lot of great shows. Um, I've seen, especially some of my favorite bands. I've seen Dave Matthews Band thirty one times, starting uh, including this year. Uh, Humphreys McGee I've seen 16 times now and um, that band in particular is a great one to see live because I'm not really that interested in a band that's going to play their studio songs note for note Um, and fortunately not many of the musicians and bands that I listen to would be inclined to do that but Humphreys McGee in particular and I'm not I'm not a huge um, jam band guy in the sense of the noodly hippie uh, you know 25-minute excursions. Um, but Umphreys McGee manages to take their songs to totally different places and in totally new directions um, while keeping your attention. And um, they have a very specific and choreographed way of improvising uh, where they signal to each other. They have a, a series of gestures where they, you know, okay, modulate up a half step or go back to the first section or, you know, so they do a lot of... Um, they're great improvisers and they do a really good job of making sure that the improvisation is entertaining and not uh, self-indulgent, I suppose, would be the, the converse. Um, one Umphrey show in particular that stands out uh, that's kind of unique is um, was in, on April 13th in 2008. They did an acoustic show at Toad's Place in New Haven. Uh, and they're, they're a six-piece band and normally they're a really heavy um, progressively heavy, uh, not metal heavy, rock band. And uh, this was an acoustic show, uh, which was very cool, and it actually happened to be the drummer's birthday. So it was, uh, it was a special occasion, and I was uh, privileged to see that one. And uh, let's see, what else? I've seen... I've been to a couple music festivals. I know I mentioned that a few times. Um, I went to the Echo Project in Georgia, uh, which was in 2007. That was great. I've been to Langerado in Florida, which was very cool. Uh, and then Rothbury was probably my favorite festival. That was, I think, I think they only did it two years in a row. Um, but they, uh, that was in Michigan. And each, each, depending on the location, the music festival has like a different vibe to it. Like the Echo Project was in Georgia and it was very, kind of very dusty and, and barren and stuff, for better or for worse. And uh, com- contrast that with Langerado, which was on uh, uh, the Big Cypress Indian Reservation, which was about an hour west of Fort Lauderdale, I think. And uh, that was all kind of swampy and, and wetlandsy, and it was, you know, it rained and it was humid, um, which was equally cool. But Rothbury was probably my favorite because that one was in Michigan, and it was all, um, you know, forests and pine trees and stuff. And um, that was my first good Primus show. 
I think, was at Rothbury 2008. And I had seen Primus once before, and but it was on the quote-unquote Beat a Dead Horse tour, <laughs> which was in celebration of their Greatest Hits album that they were obligated to put out by the record company. Uh, and we saw them in New York. My dad actually went with me. And the barrier broke like in during the third song. So they had to actually stop the show for like 20 minutes because the crowd was threatening to tear down the front barrier. So that was kind of a drag. And at that time, the uh, the band wasn't really into it. And, um, you know, so it wasn't that great. But the Rothbury show was a significant improvement. So that one was really good. And then one concert that always jumps to mind uh, in terms of my favorite shows was Primus again. But it was at the Gathering of the Vibes Festival, which is a a long-running festival. I think it's been going on for like 12 years now or something in Connecticut. But Primus played there uh, in 2010, right after they had reformed uh, with one of their original drummers, Jay Lane. And the enthusiasm that uh, having the new drummer in there, the enthusiasm that that brought was just phenomenal. And it was great to see them enjoying being in Primus again. And it was just a fantastic show. And uh, that was even before their new record came out. Uh, But so that was a good one. So... Lots of good stuff. And Jay was uh, in uh, the, on the Sausage record, too, right? He was on the Sausage record. And uh, he, at the time, he... Because he left Primus right before Frizzle Fry was recorded. And then... So a lot of the drum parts were um, kind of his lines that Tim Alexander took over eventually. And then he was in Bob Weir's band. I don't know what it's called. Oh, uh, Rat Dog? Rat Dog. Yeah, he was in Rat Dog. And... I think um, Les Claypool and Larry Lalonde had the, were talking about doing Primus again, and uh, they knew that Tim Alexander wasn't going to be the, the right choice in order to move the band forward. Um, so they reached out to Jay Lane, and fortunately he um, took a hiatus from, from Rat Dog to come do Primus again, and it's just it's been a boon to the Primus community because you know we've been waiting those people that aren't Primus fans, the band disbanded in 2000, in 2000 and then they did some nostalgia tours in 2003 and 4 and a couple one-offs uh, in the late 2000s. But we've, you know, we've been hoping for a new album since 2000, essentially, or since 99 when Antipop came out. And since Jay Lane has come back and they released Green Naga Hyde uh, last year and it's just been phenomenal. The, uh, the band's excited about it again and they're the shows have been fantastic. I haven't actually seen them since they put out the new album, which is uh, tragic, but it's been uh, a fantastic time to be a Primus fan, so that's good. Yeah, I know that they're on a new tour now. Like I I don't know if I'll get to see them, but I know that they're playing uh, uh, Seattle, or actually it's Mary Moore Park, which is in I want to say Redmond, but more or less, you know, Seattle for those of you who aren't actually here. Um, and I think next month, and I like to see them, but it's really expensive, and it's I don't I don't know, so I'll I'll have to see. But I do I I I, I am a Primus fan. Yeah, they'll definitely be a pick on a future show uh, for sure. But yeah. uh, my schedule hasn't allowed me to see them yet on the Green Naga Hyde tour, and they were actually doing you know they were doing what everybody dreamed that they would do. They played two sets, you know, and they actually ended up doing Green Naga Hyde in its entirety for the second set. And um, but my schedule just didn't allow it. Uh, but they're going to be playing at Gathering of the Vibes again this year, which is sometime in July. Um, and I think they're actually going to be headlining uh, one of the nights. So so that'll be good. Cool. Nice. Yeah, Primus are one of those bands I need to get more into. I only just have Sailing the Seas of Cheese, and I feel bad. 
Oh, oh, I will educate you. Yeah, please, please do, please do. <laughs> um, at at the risk of ra- wrapping this entire conversation full circle, my 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 concert story is about seeing Devo. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so of course, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this this was particularly special. Uh, this was in two thousand in, in November two thousand and nine. They were doing these. Uh, uh, two night stands in a few cities, including uh, New York, where when one night they would play the entire album of Q Army Not Men, and the second night they'd play all of Freedom of Choice. And naturally, I went to both nights. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it was perfect because one was a Friday, one was a Saturday. Uh, I blew off uh, work that afternoon, just hopped a bus, went right up. Uh, I started camping out in front of the venue at one o'clock. So I realized no one else is here. I'm going to go get lunch. Get lunch. Come back. Another friend, a friend of mine, Alex Brunel from Boogie Woods Basement, had already taken my spot. The bastard. <laughs> um, and basically, I, I wrote an article about a, a thing about this for on Sands Point that it was, it's um, time travel almost because they went all out. They uh, they they recreated as best as they could. You know the the costumes from when they were touring in say '78 or '80. They recreated the sets from the stage sets. Uh, for the first night, they had the stage covered in uh, black plastic sheeting, and they had suitably low-tech lighting. And the second night, um, they were wearing uh, the, the the Energy Dome, the red hats, uh, and they were um, in. They had these five light boxes, one behind each member, and they're doing all the choreography and everything like that. And they even started the show the way they would start the shows those years with. Uh, showing music videos. The first night they showed uh, their first video in the beginning was the end, the truth about the evolution. The next night they started, they showed the videos from Freedom of Choice, Girl You Want, uh, Freedom of Choice, Whip It. Not in that order, I think. (laughs) And it it was just amazing to see this band. I've seen them before, but it felt like it was a complete picture finally. I'd only seen them... I saw them... The first time I ever saw them was back in 2004 and there was just a wash on stage... They had the yellow suits and the hats and choreography and everything, but it was just, it was just uh, a very simple show. It was the same in 2005, but it was better in 2005. And I saw them again in Philly in 2008. They, had a, they actually had a light show, but something about the vet, they, they were playing a festival and they couldn't do the entire light show. So here I'm finally seeing Devo with stage sets, with a light show, and they're doing the album. I'm hearing songs in concerts that I've not only never heard before, that they've never performed before. They performed uh, everything off of Freedom off of Are We Not Men at some point live, and I've heard bootlegs of it, but there's no... Until this tour, they'd never played something like Mr. B's Ballroom off Freedom of Choice in concert. They'd never played uh, Ton of Love or Cold War. And... The mo- the thing that just absolutely put it over the top was on the second night the the first encore was a song called "Be Stiff," mm-hmm. which just <laughs> oh my god! I mean, even when I saw them just last this past December in Atlantic City, and they have you know the video screen now and everything, um, it it's still really awesome. It just didn't quite match the intensity of seeing them uh, in two thousand and nine doing these these uh, shows even if I do really like having new material and a new, new costumes and everything. Mm-hmm. And I've actually, in the show notes, I've actually got some links to photos, my photos and other photo and professional photos of those shows. And a couple, a couple really good, surprisingly good bootleg videos <laughs> that are on YouTube. <laughs> well, didn't uh, Pilmer himself actually post a couple too? Yeah. 
but uh, he couldn't get any video from the Irving Plaza shows because of the venue being Dick's. Ah. Yeah. And I just, the video I have from the Atlantic City show is just one I prefer better, prefer, prefer to, to Pilmer's. Mm-hmm. Just, okay. Mm-hmm. I, guess that, I guess that's a show. Unless we Sound have good to me. Yeah. Uh, so you can check us out. Uh, crushonradio.com is our site. We're on Twitter at username Crush on Radio. We're on Facebook. I guess if you just do a search for Crush on Radio, you can find us there. Yeah, I think it's uh, facebook.com slash Crush on Radio. Either way, yeah, like us on, like us on Facebook. We're, uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Five-star reviews only, please. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, everybody, who contributed live album suggestions. That was very cool of you. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Charity, uh, Ayla. I pronounced Isla. Isla. I'm sorry. <laughs> Isla. I knew I was going to screw that up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we'll cut that. Yeah. Charity, <laughs> Isla, uh, J- Mr. Janet. Colton, uh, Janet, Mr. Colton, Mr. Roderick. Um, uh, Lee. Lee. Is I guess. Everyone? I think so, yeah. yeah. I guess I guess we should maybe like give. I think we've given everybody else's like full name, haven't we? I don't know. Lee Huey, by the way. Okay. I don't know. So if, there you know, go. Charity's a friend of mine. I don't know if she wants her full name out there, but... Oh, fair she, enough. She, yeah, she knows who she is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where can we find each other? Well, you can find me at andrewmarvin.net and or on Twitter at andrewmarvin. Uh, you can find me at kittyseases.com, K-I-T-T-Y-S-N-E-E-Z-E-S.com or on Twitter at at kittyseases.com. Or on Tumblr at keystheses.tumblr.com, where you can see a couple of animated GIFs of a weenie dog playing with a crab. Aww. It's and adorable. I, <laughs> and uh, I'm sanspoint.com, S-A-N-S-P-O-I-N-T. I actually have, I actually posted twice on that site today, uh, this week, which That's is uh, a rarity. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on Twitter, uh, sanspoint again, and um, I've got a Tumblr at whatabreathmint.com. Oh. And scene. <laughs> yeah. Nice talking to you. Nice. I think this this went well. It was great talking to you. Thanks to everyone again who submitted albums. And it's always great talking to you guys. Yeah, Likewise. I, I concur. And this was a much less angry episode, so that's always a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I promise anyone listening, we will be less angry in the future. <laughs> we, we've all taken our meds this time. <laughs> Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I'm gonna show you